0: Today, what we're going to do is look in in week two at Paul's confrontation with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Paul has this huge blow up with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And last week, we were all over the place and the scriptures kind of bouncing around everywhere. We're going to be stuck in Acts chapter nine today. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter nine, or you can follow along in the Bible app or whatever. We're going to be right there. That's really the only passage you need to look up. There's a lot of verses Uh, It's 19 verses, but we're going to work through them. What we're going to do today is we're going to read through all the verses and then we'll come back and and talk about the details that we learn in those verses. So what we'll be doing just overall is looking at Paul's confrontation, his conflict with Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is where he changes sides. If you were here last week, we talked about how Paul was an opponent of Christ, an enemy of Christ, you know what I mean? Like he was... They, he was the other side. He was like, you know, the Bengals and the Patriots, you know, like another team or whatever. Like he was on the other side and today he's switching teams. And this is this is an incredibly powerful message. And it's an incredibly powerful text, because if this had not happened, we would not be here today. Because we see we, we talked about last week, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. We continue to read him and read him and read him. So last week, we look at Paul's biographical information. And then today we're going to look at his conversion. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 starts like this. Hopefully you can see it up on the screen. I've got it in both English and Spanish for you. So we're going to read it all together. And then we're going to come back and look at the details. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. Now, again, pause for a second. Saul. Well, I've been talking about Paul, right? This is one of those things why you need to watch last week's message or listen to it. It's the same person. OK, Saul was his what name you remember his Jewish name. And Paul was his what Roman name when he was using, when he's talking to certain people groups, he'd use a different name. This is the same person. This is kind of why I want you to go back and watch that stuff or listen to that stuff so you know. So, meanwhile, Saul, Paul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Man, eager to kill Christians. This dude's crazy, okay? He's certifiable. Eager to kill Christians. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both women, both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. Okay? So he's going after the Christians. He's going to use whatever means necessary to find them, hunt them down. Remember, we talked about last week, his job was Christian bounty hunter. He was to go out and, and hunt down Christians and bring them to justice. Okay, verse three. <clears throat> As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around, around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Verse seven, continuing. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he had opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. So three days of praying and fasting. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Verse 10. Now, there was a believer, so the story kind of takes it aside. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. This is, remember, Ananias and Sapphira, this is is different, okay, this is a whole different person here. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now, this is some sketchy stuff happening here okay just think about this for a second sketchy right that's my that's britney's word i've taken it on sketchy i don't know how you translate that as i'm sorry okay but it's sketchy here we go verse 13 but the lord here we go uh sorry back right but lord exclaimed ananias i've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done To believers in Jerusalem, and who is Ananias? He's a believer, right? He's a believer. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name, which would have been him. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. We talked last week about how much he suffered for Jesus' name. Verse 17. This this will be the end. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus. a few days. So that's a lot of text for us to cover. What we're going to do is just kind of look at, just like we did last week, kind of the the different stages or different characteristics or, or whatever of Paul's story here. And this is kind of a carryover from last week because we talked about the fact that Paul was a persecutor of Christians. This is what his job was. He was trained to do it. He was sent by the Jewish religious leaders who he was part of them to go and hunt down Christians, find them, arrest them, kill them, do whatever. Remember, he was part of the posse that took down who? Remember Acts chapter 7? Stephen, right? Stephen's murdered. I think it's Acts chapter 7. Stephen's murdered and he's right there letting it all happen. Or probably chapter 8 of Acts. It says this, so... It says here, look at what it says about Saul. He's a persecutor. It says that he wanted to kill the Lord's followers. I mean, this is an intense hatred, right? This guy, we talked about this last week. This guy was an intense persecutor, not just, oh, I don't like them, right? This isn't like, I don't like my neighbor kind of hate, you know, like the person you hate. Oh, I don't like my ex husband. Oh, I don't like, you know, whatever, that guy that hit and run my car. Like this is, you're going to go kill people because they believe differently than you. This is serious, extreme hatred. He was a persecutor of Christians. He had an issue. You know... To me, it's a little bit different to disagree with someone, not like them, maybe not want to be around them, but then to take that kind of attitude and go and say, I'm going to kill them because I don't like them. This was serious. I mean, this is bigger than the Republican Democrat argument. Do you know, I mean, maybe not in some regions, because some regions, you know, they're like, I'm going to kill you. I saw this video of this girl online who was a vegetarian who said, if you eat meat, you should die. You know what I mean? Like, there are people that are that extreme in their belief system. Like, she said, if you eat meat, you should die. Like, that's most of the whole world, right? <laughs> so, like, but she has this thought, there's such a strong belief that she wants anyone else that believes differently to die. This is it's kind of out there, right? Paul was out there in his beliefs, in his pursuit of Judaism. And it says that he was authorized to stop the spread of Christianity, whatever it takes. Look at what the text here says. Look at what I've highlighted there. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. So basically what he's asking for is blank arrest warrants. Any of you like a few blank arrest warrants that you could just fill in someone's name? Mars is the only person I see his hand. He's the only person willing to raise his hand. Like some of us are like, oh, if I could just get one for my ex. Right. Or if I could just get one for that. Like imagine a handful of blank arrest warrants with authority to go and hand them to whoever you want. I mean, this this dude was crazy and had the authority to back up his craziness. It wasn't just he was crazy like the girl, you know, the vegetarian girl or whatever. Like he was crazy with authority and he was a scary cat. And it's, you know, kind of funny, but think about it for a second. If you're a Christian living in these days, you've got to be sketched out like all the time. And if you're living in Damascus and hear that Paul's on his way to your town you're really going to be stressed out probably as a Christian because here comes Saul slash Paul with his arrest warrants blank with the authority of the religious leaders, the authority of the government officials at this point. He's taking these arrest warrants. He's going to come find you and arrest you if you're a believer in Jesus. Then what happens? Imagine you're just sitting there watching football or whatever you watch on TV and one day someone comes in and arrests you because you're a Christian. Takes you down to the mall and you know where the circle is there and says, renounce your faith. Renounce your faith in Jesus. And what do you say? You know, you say, no, I'm not going to renounce my faith in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, my Savior. And when you say that, when you take that strong stance of faith, If you're lucky, you go to jail, right? The lucky ones he took to jail. Maybe the less lucky ones he tortured right there until they relented, until they renounced their faith. And if they didn't, they'd die right there. They gave their life right there in the city square following Jesus. This had to have been a stressful time for believers, knowing that Saul, it says, was ravaging the church. Going and arresting whoever he could, taking him out, preferably going to jail. Otherwise, being tortured and murdered right there. Crazy times for the believers. This is what Paul had been training for all of his life. He loved it. and He was good at it. Look at what happens to him, though. It says that he's blinded. On the road to Damascus, he's blinded. Now, this whole situation of being blinded is kind of weird. He's going to Damascus. He's looking for more bounties. Look what it says there in verse 3. It says it says that uh, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So this is a bright light. Presumably really bright. So bright that it knocked him to the ground. So bright that we see later in the text that it, that it had some kind of physical destructive power in this light because it blinds him so much that scales fell from his eyes later on, we we read. But also, it wasn't just a, a, a weird phenomenon. It was a miraculous light because it was only aimed at him and the few people that were with him were not blinded by the light. So this is for sure God's movement, His miraculous bright light that shines down on him, blinds him, sends him to the ground... He's blinded. Think about this for a second. This man who grew up, who had, who had done all the right things in the Jewish faith. He, he, I mean, he's like working for God right now, right? And he's blinded by this light. And his companions are not. And they're like, what's going on? We're hearing voices and we don't see the light. And he's on the ground. Like, it's a crazy situation here. This is a life changing moment for Paul and for us. And then, after he's blinded, he hears a voice and he's confronted. And he's convicted. He's confronted with his sin. Convicted about what he's doing. And he's confronted by Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He hears a voice of Jesus. Now, for some of us, we'd say, Oh, I would love to hear the voice of Jesus today. Most times when people heard God speaking in the Bible, they were what? Terrified. Okay, They were terrified of it. We think today, oh, I'd love to hear Jesus. Tell me, talk to me day and night and lead me. And it would be terrifying for you. For Paul, it was absolutely terrifying because Primarily of what Jesus said. What did he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He confronts him face to face. He says, hey, Saul, why are you coming after me? He confronts Saul face to face. Have you ever been confronted face to face about something? It's not fun. Have you ever been confronted by a coworker? Hey, you're not doing your part. You're like, whoa, 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 hold on. You're supposed to email me, not come to my face. You know what I mean? Like, confrontation is rarely... Some of you are sickos and you like converse, con, confrontation, okay? But for the most part, confrontation is not fun. It's not enjoyable. And here we have Jesus Christ confronting... Paul, because of his sin, because of what he's doing, because of his pursuit of Jesus, his followers. Now, think about this for a second. You don't like being confronted about your sin by maybe your mom, your dad, your auntie, your teacher or whatever. Imagine being confronted by the God of the universe about your sin. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... You have been confronted with your sin, have you not? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, presumably there's been a time in your life where God has revealed to you that you are a sinner. But he said, look at your lifestyle. Look at how you've disobeyed me. Look at the look at the sin in your life. And I've come to forgive you of that sin. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been confronted by that sin. Maybe it wasn't by Jesus in the flesh on a desert road. Maybe God confronted you about your sin through someone else. For instance, for me, I've told you this story a few times. I was confronted in my sin by my fiance now wife, that God used her in that moment to give me a blinding Damascus Road moment where she was the mouthpiece of God and said, what are you doing? You're a fake, you're a fraud, you're not really a Christian, you're just doing your own thing and acting like a Christian. You've got the walk and the talk and the look, boy, but you're fake. That was not easy for me, it was not fun. But for me, that was my blinding road moment. Have you been confronted by your sin? Maybe it was God who spoke to you. Maybe it was through someone else. Maybe it was through the Bible. How you respond to that confrontation means eternity. It's the most important decision you will ever make is how you respond to that confrontation of sin. When you learn that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, how you respond to that makes all the difference in the world so Paul is confronted and that's not the end of the story he doesn't know what to do he's blind he's confronted by Jesus and so he doesn't know what to do he's got all these questions so he does what he knows best pray and fast as a Jew as a good Jewish boy he'd be praying and fasting all the time he'd be doing it regularly and in that prayer and that time of prayer and fasting for three days, he was asking God, probably God, why, why me, what is this, what are you doing? I'm blind. Like all of those questions, he's got. He's in Damascus, fasting and praying and trying to figure out what this is that God has for him. Look at what he says here. It says he remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. And he's trying to figure out. What's going on, God? So he's fasting and we know that he's praying because later on it says Ananias goes and he sees him in a vision of prayer and things like that. I wonder what it would be like for us to follow the lead of Paul. In 2018, on uh, Thursday, I came up with this little, I don't know what you would call it, equation. God is greater than Google, okay? And here's what I mean by that. In 2018, I want to challenge you when you're, because most of us, when we struggle with something, when we don't know something, what do we do? Go Google it. I got to Google that. Some of you that are not Googlers, you're in the minority for sure, okay? And I'm not saying you're wrong, you're just in the minority. So if this doesn't apply to you, I'm sorry. But for the majority of us, if we don't know something, what do we do? Some of you call your mama because she's the smartest person you know. The m- most of us Google it, right? And Darcy's up here. You, I am the smartest person you know, Brittany, right? <laughs> I am. You better believe it, girl, right? But in 2018, I wonder if we couldn't take our cues from Paul. When he was confused, what did he do? He went to God in prayer and fasting. When he was not sure of his future, where did he go? He went to God in prayer and fasting. Now, many of us, listen, it, when, you, when we're discouraged, we Google inspiring quotes, right? And we see all these really cool quotes. Right? Yeah, and then we put it on Facebook. I'm encouraged because Google encouraged me, right? When we've got, a I don't know, trouble with your teenager, right? How do I fix my idiot teenager's brain, right? You Google that. Like, what if instead of going to Google, we went to God? I want to challenge you with that in 2010, something that I'm really going to try. Now, listen, I don't think you go to God with what time does this movie start? Like, you can Google that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, you know, like my marriage is a sham. My marriage is all messed up. I'm going to go to God before I go to Dr. Phil. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if in 2018, we didn't take our example from Paul here, who in this moment, he goes to God and begins to pray and fast, looking for answers. This is what I think is a great challenge. But this isn't the end of the story. We have Ananias. Sorry, let me get a drink. So you think, God, did I just spit? That was gross. Right on my iPad, which is weird. I don't know how to clean it. gone. like it never happened, but it is online now. Um, so God's not done talking to people. He's now talking to who? Ananias. We see Ananias showing up in this scenario. He recruits Ananias to go on this sketchiest of sketchy missions. Okay, Ananias is sent to go and interact with the enemy with Saul of Tarsus, this man who has such a reputation of killing Christians. And Ananias is a Christian and God's telling him to go and interact with him. And this is this is crazy. Look at what it says. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, when you're there, ask for a man of Tar- from Tarsus named Saul. This would have been like the worst news that Ananias could have received. You want me to what? To who? Right? Like, think about how would you respond? God tells you, okay, I want you to go to the worst person that's hunting people just like you. Go over and go have some coffee with. Man, you know, like you know you're just going to your death sentence. But what does Ananias do? He says, what do you want me to do? Look at verse 13. Maybe. Look at verse 13. But the Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talking about this terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But he goes. Ananias goes in faith and courage. He goes and he interacts with the enemy who's no longer the enemy. And now he says, what does he say? Brother. He says, brother Saul. So somehow in this interaction, he realizes that Paul is now a believer in Jesus. Sorry, I got a tickle. But that's still not the end of the story. It ends with Paul's repentance and baptism. Repentance, what is that word? Repentance is you're going in one direction and then what? We said this. You go in the opposite other direction. This is repentance. We see we know the whole story. Paul was hunting Christians as a Christian bounty hunter. And then becomes a Christian and ends up spending the rest of his life running from his old co-workers. He does, right? He begins, he's hunting Christians. Now he becomes a traitor to the Jews and they're hunting him even worse than they're hunting anyone else. And so he spends the rest of his life planting churches and running from people just like him, who he was. This is true, complete repentance, if you think about it. Look at what it says. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul, laid his hands on him and said, brother, brother, brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, he sent me to you so you might regain your sight and be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. So this is evidence. Evidence. That Paul had made a complete 180, going in one direction, hunting Christians, doing whatever he could to preserve the Jewish faith, to destroy the Christian faith, doing whatever he could to do that. And in this moment, in these three days, in this blinding light scenario, he realizes that he realizes his sin, realizes the error of his ways, turns around, and now begins pursuing a life with Jesus. He becomes the hunted. The hunter becomes the hunted. And spends the rest of his life being hunted down. And we know that remember the Galatians passage says, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body that we looked at last week. He is constantly under abuse, tortured because of his faith in Jesus. This is a monumental change for this man. And we have some. If you look around you in this room, we have some stories kind of like Paul's. We have some stories of people who, when you hear their testimony, they were like crazy, right? Drugs and guns and cops and all that. And boom, Jesus gets a hold of them. And now it's way different. It's completely different. And their life was all about them and pleasure and the pursuit of happiness and their goals and dreams. And Jesus meets them on a road and he blinds them and they're confronted with their sin and they change course. Their life changes course. And now instead of pursuing their dreams, they're pursuing God's dreams. And a lot of times those dreams are the same and they're concurrent and they go in the same direction. And sometimes our dreams are not the same dreams as God's and we make this complete 180 and we begin to follow God's dreams and plans and vision for our life. And some of you have heard the stories. We've got some guys stand up here and tell you these crazy stories about drug running and snorting and shooting. You know, all these crazy stories. And some of you who are, have been raised in Christian homes, I've heard you say this. You say, man, my story's not that good. I don't have, I don't have that. And listen, hear me. I, I want to speak to you because For those of you that don't have a good story like that, your story is the best story. That's the preferred story that God would have for you. Amen. The preferred story for you is that your parents are believers in Jesus like many of you are. And you're raised in a Christian home and you're raised at a young age to believe in Jesus and to not have all those scars and pain and consequences that some of these other guys have got up and shared And yes, those are great stories, but your story is even better because it's a story of legacy and it's a story of someone, a parent who has raised you right. This is why God tells parents to raise your children in the ways of the Lord, to teach them the Bible so that way they will follow God and won't have all of those crazy details and scars and pain that some of you here with those crazy stories have. So please hear me. Don't ever say, if you're one of those people that has a boring testimony, it's, that is God's preferred testimony for you. That's how He wants it to be. But some of us, like Paul, and maybe myself, and Mars, and some of you here, we're just what? We're hard-headed. And we don't take His advice. And we don't learn our lesson the first time. We gotta touch the stove like five times before we're like, ah, that's hot. I shouldn't do that. Some of us are just idiots. Right. So for 25 years, I knew the truth and I just kept touching the stove and burning myself instead of saying, "Okay, I need to stay away from that stove. Right. Some of us need to have this desert road, blinding experience for us to finally give up control of our life to Jesus. Others of you, you already had it figured out long ago, and that's good. That's what God wants from you it's what he wants from all of us just, some of us are just dumb me especially how about you have you ever been convicted of your sin has, has there ever been a point in your life when someone the god of the universe maybe himself or god through someone else has come to you and said listen You're not living the right way. This is what happens to Paul. This is what Paul's story is, right? This is what we're looking at. Paul's not living the right way. And God confronts him on a desert road and says, yo, Paul, hold up. What's going on? Why are you living that way? Start living for me. Have you ever had that moment in your life? I pray that you have. And how you respond to that confrontation means eternity for you. How you respond to your understanding and God's revelation in your life that you are a sinner in need of grace and need of salvation, how you respond to that means eternity. And so if you've never responded to God's confrontation in your life, I pray that you would do that today. Like today. That's why this church exists, to help people understand what the Scriptures say, that we're all sinners. We're all just like Paul. pursuing The the Scriptures say that we are pursuing the lust of our flesh. Doing whatever we wanted to do. And God's plan for our life is that we would do what He wants us to do, not what we want to do, that we would follow him instead of follow ourselves, that he would be our Lord instead of us being our own master, savior, whatever you want to call yourself. So my question. And you know, as I look out here, I, I know most of you, most of you are believers in Jesus, but it's quite possible that one, two, three of you have never responded to that confrontation where where God gets in your face and He says, listen, you're a sinner and you need to be saved. How you respond to that determines your eternity. It determines tomorrow, but it also determines your eternity. And those of us that are here, those of us that are believers in Jesus, we would say, Receive the gift of salvation. The Scriptures say that, that God sent His Son Jesus to die and be resurrected for the sins of the world. Those sins are Your sins and My sins. And we simply need to say, Jesus, I ask You to forgive my sin. I believe that You have. I want to stop living for myself. I want to start living for You. i turn away from that old life And I start living a new life with you today. If you will have that conversation with God, even right now, there's like no magic words. There's no magic handshake. There's none of that. If you will have that conversation right now, later on tonight, tomorrow, next week, it does not matter when. If you will have that conversation with God, then he says that he'll do the same thing for you that he did for Paul. He'll change your life. Your focus will no longer be your own life. Your focus will be the life that God has for you. He will save you. He will forgive your sin. Listen, if Paul can be saved, get this, Christian murderer, right? I know know the majority of all of your stories, all of your stories put together aren't worse than Paul's. Do you know what I mean? Paul was literally out killing Christians. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My love for you. Is so much more than your sin. I'm going to take care of that for you. Listen, your story, it doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how long you've run from God. doesn't matter how long you for, you've forgotten about Him or whatever. What you've done, what you haven't done. His love for you will cover all of those things. So simply receive it even right now. Let's pray.